Welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I'm Kylie Colwell. And I'm Holly Spear. And happy 2024, everyone. Holly, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I'm sure I need to have like 50, but I haven't picked any out yet. But I'm sure I will. Do you? I do not. You know what? It's a fun fact. I've never had a New Year's resolution. <laughs> you just, you're so good. You just don't need any. I'm just absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Don't change a thing. Don't change a thing. Of course. Of course. I feel like we should start off the new year with my favorite kind of case, Unsolved. And this is the story of the Dardine family massacre. We love an Unsolved. Kate hates it, but we love it. So we're going to do all of them while Kate is gone. Yes. She better not be gone that long. True. The Dardeen family were your typical Midwestern family in the 1980s. Russell Keith Dardeen was 29 and working at a water treatment plant. His wife, Ruby Elaine, was 30 and working at Staples. Both of them actually went by their middle names, so we'll just be calling them Keith and Elaine. They were also hardworking and lived frugally in order to put money away for their two-year-old son's college fund. So they were ahead of the game. Keith would even buy soda cans from the store and sell them at a markup while at work, putting that extra 50 cents into the bank. The family's work in saving up money actually doubled because Elaine was pregnant with their second child, and the two chose not to find out what the gender was and wanted it to be a surprise. I don't know if I could like wait that long. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. I feel like there's so much that you have to do before you have a baby. Like, I don't know. I don't think I could do it. No, unless it's, like, going to be one of those, like, sad beige babies. Yeah. <laughs> With the sad beige, like, very basic toys that are, like, aesthetic. It's all wood, just plain wood. <laughs> I've seen that. I hate it. hate it. Anyways, if the baby was going to be a boy, they were going to name it Ian, and if it was a girl, Casey. So despite the long working hours, the family still made it a point to be heavily involved in their local Baptist church. Keith was the lead singer in the choir, and Elaine played the piano. I'm assuming there wasn't much else to do in their small town of Ina, Illinois. The town is towards the southern point of Illinois, and at the time of this, in 1987, they only had a population of 460 people. By 1990, the town had only grown by about 20 people. So despite this town being so tiny, from only 1985 to 1987, there were 15 murders. 15 murders in two years in a town of 460 people weird what's in the water i don't know but i will not be going there no so one of these prominent cases included the rape and murder of a 10 year old girl another prominent case was the case of thomas odell while high on lsd thomas had either stabbed or strangled his parents and three siblings as they all came home with all this going on keith rightfully so became super protective of his family at one point, when a young girl knocked on their door asking to use their phone, Keith wouldn't let her inside. He also decided it was time to leave Ina. He was so ready to leave Ina, he even told other people he didn't care if he couldn't find a job in a new town, he just had to get his family out of there. The couple had saved up for a long time in order to buy the small trailer home they lived in and to rent out the land for it adjacent to Route 37 in Ina. And without hesitation, they put their home up for sale. But the family never got to move out of Ina. 
On November 18, 1987, Keith failed to show up to work at the water treatment plant. This was odd to his supervisor because Keith had never missed work without a heads up. The supervisor called Keith's parents to see if something had come up. Maybe there was some sort of emergency and Keith forgot to call in. Keith's parents, who were divorced but lived basically beside each other, told the supervisor that they weren't sure why Keith didn't show up. As they were talking, they realized they hadn't actually heard from Keith or Elaine in a bit. I'm not sure if like Keith's dad, Don, I don't know, was already expecting the worst or what, but he actually called the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office and told them to meet him at the trailer. I wouldn't think to do that. When police and Don arrived at the trailer, they saw that Keith's red 1981 Plymouth car was gone. What was even more weird is that the back door was open. Police headed inside first to find a perfectly clean home. They checked one room, another, and then another, with no sign of any members of the Dardine family. The last room to check was the master bedroom. When police went into the room, they found Elaine, Peter, and a newborn baby girl tucked into bed. Elaine had been bound and gagged with duct tape, and all three were obviously deceased and severely beaten, with their skulls fractured. Later in the investigation, it was discovered that Elaine had been beaten so severely that she went into labor and delivered the baby, who was also beaten to death right after being born. The baby was? Yes. What? That's bizarre. I have, like, no words for it. Yeah, no. Even more weird. All three had been killed with a baseball bat that was found nearby, and it was a birthday gift for the two-year-old Peter from his father. So speaking of Keith, he was nowhere to be found, and police quickly deduced that Keith had murdered his entire family and was now on the run. They quickly drove over to Keith's mother's house, you know, SWAT style, kicking in the door, demanding to know where he was. But Keith's mom, Joanne, had no idea, and Keith wasn't there. The police realized Keith wasn't there, and they split off, some going back to the station to figure things out and track him down, and some going back to the Dardine trailer to process the crime scene. Later in the day, police got a disturbing phone call. Some hunters were headed out into the woods, and on their way, they had to pass through a large wheat field. Just over a mile away from the Dardine trailer, they found the body of a man in the middle of the field. Police quickly identified the man as Keith Dardine. He had been shot three times, in the forehead, right cheek, and left cheek. Get ready for this. Keith's penis was severed, and it is rumored to have been placed in his mouth. Oh my gosh, what the heck? I can't confirm if it was in his mouth. Some people say it was, but like police haven't said it. It's still wow. weird. This is crazy. Okay. So with no weapon nearby and obviously the penis situation, police's theory that Keith had murdered his entire family and then killed himself was quickly debunked. Another thing that added doubt to this was the fact that Keith's car was still missing. His 1981 Plymouth was found a few hours later in a town 11 miles away called Benton. Even more weird, the car was parked in their police station's parking lot. 
The inside of the car was covered in blood, but there were no other clues. There was no weapon and no foreign objects that didn't belong to the family. With the news of the shocking crime hitting the small town, people were even more spooked. There are reports of people carrying shotguns with them 24-7, even just out to the store. Local schools made children wait inside for their parents to come in and pick them up. Several doctors and therapists reported that their patients were so scared and stressed by this, they were losing extreme amounts of weight and had trouble sleeping. Even the county coroner reported that one time when he ran out of gas, instead of hitchhiking or knocking on a nearby door, he just walked the 10 miles home. And some of you may be asking, when is she going to bring up the satanic panic? The time has come. And of course, if you want more detailed explanation of what the satanic panic was, shameless plug, go listen to Holly's story on the West Memphis 3. Yes. So in a similarly rural and small town in the late 80s, of course, the rumors of a Satanist cult being involved were rampant. Police even gave this a little thought and hired a cult expert to analyze the evidence and nature of the crime. However, the expert quickly concluded that there was no evidence of any sort of cult involved in this. So we were back to square one. Of course, police wanted to solve this massacre, but the effect that this had on the small town added to the pressure. Several local agencies and the Illinois State Police aided in the investigation, with over 30 detectives working on just this case full-time. Police interviewed over 100 people who had nothing abnormal or bad to report about the family. Everyone loved them, and no one could think of anyone who would harden them. The only substantive thing brought up was that the Dardine family was breeding and selling golden retrievers, with a handful of people coming and going to look at the dogs. But I didn't see like much more information on this, so I'm not sure if this was like a dead end or it wasn't looked into much. But of course, it was like the 80s. It's not like there would be like a Facebook post, you know, advertising the dogs. And you could, yeah, and you could like see who was coming yeah. and going. You know, I don't know if they had like a mm-hmm. sign outside and people just like stop by. As for the actual scene of the crime, robbery was quick, quickly ruled out. Nothing was missing. A VCR and a camera were in plain view in the living room. All the cash and jewelry was where it should have been. The only significant thing found in the home was a small amount of marijuana. And spoiler alert, neither Keith or Elaine had marijuana in their system during the autopsy. So people kind of like deduce that whoever did this left that behind. The sexual nature of the crime was up for debate, however. But the thing is, Elaine wasn't sexually assaulted. Another thing with Keith was that coroners couldn't determine his cause of death. One stated it was from a gunshot wound to the head. Another stated it was from a head injury obtained while being drugged out of his car. Investigators also couldn't pinpoint where Keith was actually murdered at. They didn't know if it was the trailer, the car, or the field. They also couldn't figure out if Keith was murdered before or after the rest of his family. Surely they're thinking that this is somebody that knows them, right? That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. This is a lot. Yeah. It's overkill. Which that's what makes me think that they knew them. What they could pinpoint was that the murders occurred approximately 12 hours before their discovery, so the night of November 17th. The killer or killers had cleaned up the trailer. Coupled with the fact that the bodies were tucked into bed methodically, there was no sense of urgency. So it's likely that the killer spent a lot of times afterwards in the trailer. 
Before we get any further, I figure since we have a lot to go through, we take a minute to debrief, talk about some theories about how the crime played out. We'll get into like the who and why in a bit. The first thing that came to mind when I was looking at all the stuff and researching the case was the fact that Elaine and the children had been murdered with, you know, Peter, the son's baseball bat. And immediately this gave off like red flags to like, okay, whoever did this didn't bring a weapon. You know, it was like heat of moment. Yeah. Was it planned out in advance? But then Keith was shot out in the field and penis severed. And that seems pretty yeah. thought out. Or just like rage, rageful, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, the fact that the murder weapon was inside the house makes me think that whoever came to the house to murder them didn't plan to murder them when they came there. Yeah, but then it's like, Park the car at the police station to do all of that. That seems thought out. I don't know. Yeah. There could just be like different MOs. I don't know. That's why some people online think it's more than one killer. That would make sense. That would make a lot of sense, actually. Without a timeline of like who was murdered first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like with Keith taken from the trailer, everyone was like tied up. Was he lured out to the field? Did they find keys somewhere else and then go back to the trailer? Maybe they were thinking it'd be easier to, I don't know, kill others if he was gone. I don't know. That's, yeah. It makes me think it's two people or, you know, more than one person. I agree. Couldn't find anything coming straight from the police stating whether they thought there was more than one killer or not. Um, We do know a few of their theories, which I have to say almost all of them have been struck down. The first theory was that Keith had racked up a large amount of gambling debt. Their reason for believing this was because they found a large stack of sports scores in the trailer, which personally, I don't see the quick-to-judgment correlation. Like, maybe he just liked to watch sports? Keith's mom, Joanne, also shot this theory down. She reiterated that Keith was super frugal. Yeah, I think that's kind of a rush to judgment on that. (laughs) I did see some, like, online theories... It may not be gambling debts, but to like kind of hint that Keith was running away from something. Like we know he was scared of all this violence going on in this small town. But like, was it something more personal that he was like involved with? But then the thing is, is that the town the family was trying to move to, which was Elaine's hometown, Mount Carmel, was only like a little over an hour away. So I don't know if you're like trying to run away from somebody or something, an hour isn't too far away think that you would go further away not just down the road you know joanne keith's mom believes that someone wanted keith to sell drugs for them and he refused to do so she also told reporters that elaine might have turned down someone's advances and that that person got so angry he killed the entire family which i'm not too sure on her theories here yeah why the drug theory the just maybe the weed in the house or what so weird i I guess, but I don't understand why if drug dealers are out there like recruiting people to sell for them like that, like threatening yeah. them to sell drugs for them, like wouldn't you want someone to who wanted to do that? Maybe this town is like an Ozark type situation. That's what there's it sounds these- like. But there's nothing really to disprove her theories or really anything at this point. And at this point in the investigation, it had been 10 whole years after the murders with zero suspects or persons of interest. Local police ruled it as a case of mistaken identity without 
any explanation. What? Which doesn't make any sense. I don't know if they're thinking like gang or something, which, you know, mistaken identity, like you shoot someone, you know, run away. It's usually quick. It's not these long, rageful killings. I feel like you would quickly figure out that that's not who you're supposed to kill. Oh. When you tie them up, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're thinking that it was someone else. Yeah. They're thinking it was somebody else that that was meant for is what you mean. Yeah. Also, with, like, Keith's car being dropped off at the police station, that seems like a threat to me. Like, to the police. Anyways, the FBI was brought in, but they also had zero to work with or go off of. And they soon tapped out with no suspects. Joanne started to pretty much lead the investigation. She began trying to get the word out about the massacre and campaigning for more work to be done. She also campaigned heavily for the story to be told on The Oprah Winfrey Show. You know, the best TV show of all time. However, the producers of the show declined, stating that the crime was too brutal to talk about on air. America's Most Wanted even declined at first, but eventually aired a segment on the case in 1998 after a petition was started. So I looked for forever to find it, like the clip. Couldn't find it anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. But despite this airing of the segment, no new leads came from it. And a lead wouldn't come until 13 years after the murders in 2000. On December 31st, 1999, in Del Rio, Texas, Tommy Lynn Sells cut the throats of two girls. One had survived the attack, while another died from her injuries. Tommy was soon after arrested and connected to another murder of another girl in San Antonio that same year. So while Tommy was awaiting trial, he began to confess to a bunch of other murders around the country while he was hopping freight trains. Tommy was ultimately connected to 22 murders all over the United States. But one case that caught police's attention was, of course, the Dardine family massacre. At the time of the attack, Tommy was living in St. Louis, Missouri, which was only 90 miles away from the Dardine home. Tommy told investigators that while he was hopping trains, he saw the for sale sign at the trailer and decided to knock on the door, pretending to be an interested buyer. He then claimed to force Keith into his car by gunpoint, making Keith drive to the field where he was murdered. Tommy then said he took the car back to the trailer and raped Elaine. But just a little side note, remember, there was no signs of sexual assault with Elaine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. Another discrepancy with Tommy's story was where Keith was sat in the car when he was shot and what position Elaine was found in. This information hasn't been made public, but police did say that Tommy's story didn't match up. The county sheriff did say, though, that Tommy knew details of the crime that had not been made public. If he got a couple things wrong, but he knew a lot that wasn't public, I would think, I don't know if you can, like, discount his story. I'd be like, Some people have bad memories. He's like the confession killer. So Tommy ultimately confessed to over 70 murders. There wasn't really much evidence, obviously, for 70 murders. So I don't know if we can give much weight to his story. Another thing is that Tommy's story kept changing. In another story, he said he had met Keith in 1987 at a truck stop or a pool hall. He wasn't sure which one. Tommy then said Keith had invited him over for dinner and offered up a threesome with Elaine. 
Tommy's story splits again. In one instance, he said the threesome didn't happen. And another telling of the story, he said he got triggered during the threesome and committed the murders. So this guy's just all over the place. Joanne did believe Tommy Sells was responsible for the murders. And Joanne wanted to go to Texas to talk to him. However, she was not able for whatever reason. And Tommy was executed in 2014. Joanne had since changed her mind and has told reporters that she no longer believes Tommy Lynn Sells was responsible. Which I'm going to have to agree with her on this one. Yeah, I kind of do too. It's too random. Like, he lived 90 miles away. That's not close enough. There's no other connections to them that he has. And like we talked about earlier, I'm leaning towards whoever did it being someone the family knew. To start, there was no signs of fourth century. Like, Keith wouldn't even let that one girl in to borrow a phone in the house. I think the back door being open was probably whoever it was, like, leaving. Or maybe they entered through that door. Like, it was a trailer. It wasn't, it wouldn't be weird to, like, walk around to the other side, you know, and knock on that door. It's not a long walk, you know? Like we talked about earlier, I'm leaning towards the perpetrators. At least two being someone that the family knew. To start, there were no signs of force and entry. Keith wouldn't even let that one girl asking to borrow a phone into the house. Right. I think the back door being open was probably like whoever it was like leaving or maybe they entered through that door. I don't know. Like it was a trailer. It wouldn't be weird to walk around to the other side. Yeah. I feel like I'd leave through the back door too if I did, you know, if I was a murderer, like I think I wouldn't walk out the front door just in case somebody came to it, you know? That's true. It was like the house was kind of near the road. So I don't know. It'd yeah. Sneakier. And, of course, the yeah. killer could have just flashed their gun and demanded to be let in, which True. there's so many theories. I have no idea. Um, yeah. And, of course, the most important evidence of it being personal is how severe the killings were. Of course, like beating someone with a baseball bat. One of your victims gives birth and then you beat the newborn baby to death. Like you had to be pretty pissed off to do that. Yeah, I feel like that's as personal as it gets, really. Oh, the list. Top of the list. Yeah. Then we have the penis being cut off. I think so similar... personal. This is the most personal case ever. Yeah. Super personal. Yeah. And I've seen some theories online about like possible affairs or like a jealous ex-lover of either Keith or Elaine. Of course, no one publicly has found anything really to confirm this, but I did watch one video. I think it's a pretty stupid theory, but I had to talk about it because I think it's stupid. These other podcasts, I won't name, their theory is that Keith had a gay male lover who was threatening to out him and that this would disrupt Keith's life and his role in the church. And that's why he was trying to get out of town. I mean, that would definitely disrupt his life, but I feel like the ex-lover theory... I mean, does make sense, but if there's nothing to back that up, then seems speculative. Yeah, but I guess it's also be hard to have evidence of like an affair before cell phones and social media. True, true. How would you even go about that? Just be like, okay, meet me at this place every like Friday at three p.m. I don't know. I get yeah, a letter, a pigeon. Another popular theory online is that Keith was having an affair with a woman. And her might, husband might have been, you know, involved after he found out. 
or that Elaine was having an affair and the man got mad that she wouldn't leave her husband. Of course, police interviewed basically everyone in town. And there's no any indications of affairs, jealous exes, or anyone who had a problem with the Dardines. So basically, I have zero clue about this one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more theories or thoughts on who? I mean, gosh, not who, but I just have to think that it's somebody who is so upset with them for some reason. I also think the theory of um, misidentity makes sense, too, if it is somebody that, you know, something going on with, like, drugs that's a different family or something like that. I can't, I don't know. I mean, it kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense maybe if the police think that. There's might be another reason that we don't know that they think that for, but I just think this is so personal or like vindictive. I guess it kind of makes sense if you're thinking like some sort of drug gang or something like the crime scene kind of reminds me of like those like movie scenes where there's like hostages and they like tie the whole family up, you know, they'll, they'll like start beating someone, you know, to get whatever they want. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how often that happens, but it definitely seems. I mean, I know. I mean, I guess it happens. I don't know. You know, uh, who knows? The Dardines weren't like wealthy by any means, so it's, nothing was stolen. So it wasn't for money, right? I have no idea. Yeah, what's the motive if it's not like sexual motive or money or I don't know? To me, that leaves like crime of passion, like a hate crime on. For some reason. Yeah. It's hard when you have zero evidence. You have zero motive. Zero persons of interest. It's crazy. So they found nothing at the scene that would give them any sort of... Like, there's no footprints, fingerprints, nothing. I guess not. They really haven't said much about it. And I think this was... This is about the time when, like, DNA started coming up. Yeah. I'm sure... They didn't test the DNA back then, but with this being like a pretty high profile case, I feel like they would have, if they had DNA tested it since then. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, you might just be like optimistic on that. Mm -hmm. The case of the Dardine family massacre remains unsolved. The family was buried in a small cemetery in the town of Albion. Meanwhile, detectives are still investigating. What? That ended so fast. I know. It's all I had. Oh my gosh. For overtime, I wanted to have a very professional and educational discussion with you, Holly. I'm scared. About what? So as you know, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was released from prison last week. (laughs) After serving eight years in prison, and it got me thinking about things. And so now I present to you my list of top 10 things I would like to see Gypsy Rose do in 2024. I love it. First, I would like thing I would like for her to do is the cinnamon challenge. Yep. Yep. She's got, yeah, she's got to make up for lost time. Cinnamon challenge, uh, ice bucket challenge. Um... <laughs> All the challenges. So cinnamon challenge is definitely big before the whole prison thing. She went to prison in like 2015. But they never mentioned it in the documentaries or in the Hulu show. So I just need some confirmation that Gypsy, one, she knows what it is and whether or not she can complete it. Yep. 
Second thing on the list, um, as with any big celebrity and gay icon, I would like for Gypsy Rose to be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. She's got to do her time. She's got to do it. She's got to do it. Third, considering Gypsy will need an income, I would advise her to post a TikTok get ready with me for a parole check-in. Um, her skin <laughs> looks great, especially for like prison skincare. So I need to know what she uses. Yeah, she she really does. I noticed like a few things on her Instagram that she was like doing while she was like pictures she took while she was incarcerated. And I was like, what do you what? What do you I, use? Yeah. Gosh, should we just like go back to the basics and use prison skincare? I mean, she and she like had her nails done like right after. How do you even pick like what you do on your nails when you have gotten out of prison for being there? Like, do you have Pinterest in prison? Yeah. How do you That's... say I want this? You know, like, yeah. What's the trends? Okay. Fourth item on the list is for her to drink a large Panera charged lemonade and report back on how it made her feel. Um, this is mainly for scientific research because I'm scared to try it since two people died after drinking it. Also, there is no Panera in my town that I am aware of. What? Wait, there's a lemonade at Panera that two people died after they drank it? Apparently, it has so much caffeine, it causes heart attacks. Oh my gosh, I want it. Don't get the large, okay? People have died. Okay, I'll, get the, I'll get the small. Okay, you can let me know how it is. I'll report back. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Um, for the fifth thing, I would like all of America to get behind this. I want her to be the celebrity coin toss person at the upcoming Super Bowl. Yep. Six, I want her to watch the entire Fifty Shades of Grey franchise in one sitting. The first movie came out like right after she was sentenced, and I doubt they would have any of those type of viewings in prison, so I feel like she just needs to like catch up in that aspect. Yeah, Twilight maybe too. That was pretty iconic for Twilight. What? What decade or what time period was that? Wasn't Twilight like our middle school? Yeah, like junior, middle school. The first school, one? Yeah. Junior high-ish. I just remember people having the books when I was in junior high. Oh my god, every girl, like, you could not be caught without carrying one of your Twilight books around school with you. Yeah, nope. Okay, number seven, go down the Boston cop slide. What's that? Oh my god, Holly. What is that? How do you not know about this? It's all over the news. Oh, I've never even heard of these things that she needs to do that when she's gotten out of prison for the first time. And these are all these iconic things I haven't heard of, like three of them. What is that? What do you? What is that? Okay, it's a slide in Boston. Watch this. Oh my god! And people do that? Oh yeah, it's not a tourist attraction. Oh my gosh! Okay, number eight. I think she should release a candle collaboration with Gwyneth Paltrow's brand Goop and possibly like different medication scented candles. Yes, yes. Number nine, I would like to see Gypsy get addicted to like elf bars or any obnoxious fruit flavored disposable vapes and every week when it runs out, be worried about whether or not the corner store is going to have her preferred flavor in stock. It's just American. Gotta experience it, yeah. Got to. Lastly, the tenth thing, tenth thing I would like for Gypsy Rose to do in twenty twenty four is to run on the vice presidential ticket with George Santos running for president, and that is my list. I love it. I feel like yeah, she's got to do these iconic things. She needs to participate in a pyramid scheme on Instagram. She needs to oh flat yeah flat belly tees. Yes, 
the sugar bear hair gummies. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, she needs to, like, go live on TikTok with Jeffree Star. Mm-hmm. She needs to be interviewed by, what's that guy? What's that podcaster? Uh, the fam- famous, um... I don't know. There's a lot of them. Always. Joe Rogan. Oh, Joe Rogan. Oh, my God. Why did I not think of that? Yeah, she needs to be interviewed. <laughs> I'm going to start a petition to get her on Joe Rogan. I bet. I, I bet you that happens. I bet you that happens, actually. I feel like he would be so down for that. Oh, for sure. Oh, there's like complete opposites. I think that would be absolutely hilarious to watch. I'm going to think of more. I'm going to think of more. Next time I'm coming with my 10. That's good. Here's the thing. like We don't have any New Year's resolutions for ourselves, but we have some for Gypsy Rose. But I got some for Gypsy. Yes. She'll have a book soon, I'm sure. No, she did. It's already released. I don't know how she wrote it so fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did she write that so fast? Maybe she's sitting in. Maybe that's what she did when she was in jail. I guess you got to pass the time somehow. Yeah. I don't know if her little ex-boyfriend is ever going to get out. Yeah, what did he get? I don't even remember. Oh, he got a life sentence, so. Oh. R.A.P. Yikes. No brand deals for him. Ray. And with that, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. If you want even more information, you can check out our blog on OverMyDeadPod.com. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check us out on social media at Over My Dead Pod. And we'll see you next week with another case. Okay, bye. Bye.